Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Back in 1994, H.H. Leonards, my guest today, got a call from Brother Willis Edwards of the Beverly Hills branch of the NAACP. Leonards happens to be the founder and chairman of the historic mansion and museum on O Street in the nation's capital. Founded 14 years earlier, its higher purpose was providing a unique forum where clients come to learn from one another, foster the development of diversity, as well as the human spirit. Brother Edwards asked Miss Leonards if Rosa Parks could stay in the mansion until, in his words, she's healed emotionally and physically. She had recently been attacked in her Detroit home, and after getting out of the hospital, couldn't safely go home again. Despite her legendary status as the iconic mother of the civil rights movement, she felt she needed a safe space and thus began a friendship between the two women. And to that end, Leonard's has written Rosa Parks Beyond the Bus, Life Lessons and Leadership. It's a collection of anecdotes and memories gleaned from Leonard's friendship with this national treasure who stayed at her historic DC mansion and museum for a decade. Learning from and finding common ground with Ms. Parks was seminal. On the surface, she didn't have a lot in common with Leonard's, Parks, an elderly black civil rights treasure, Leonard's, a young white woman. H. Leonard's, we welcome you and thank you so much for joining me remotely from D.C. today. I am so honored to talk with you. Thank you. That's a great way to start. Um, I like being honored. I want to go back. What made you decide to start a historic mansion and museum on O Street in Washington, D.C. Where the hell did that come from? I say it's visions that I received from God. But when I came to Washington, I wanted to help my country. I was extremely upset when I didn't meet anyone that wanted cared about anything but promoting themselves. So I thought through the arts, through music, through thousands of books and people talking about real things that people would remember who they really were before they drank the water of Washington, D.C. and and connected back to themselves and left here thinking that they're just a piece of the world, reach out, help other people. But where did you get off starting a mansion and a museum? How did you do that? I can't even imagine what that must be like. What you do, wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to buy this building and this is what I'm going to, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I had no money. I had no business background. I had no art background. I just had a vision of what my purpose should be. I had no fear. I um, saw the images of where I am now clearly in my brain, and I started looking for a place that I could purchase to do that. And wasn't mindful of the fact that I had no savings account. (laughs) (laughs) I think things are supposed to happen if you don't see brick walls. And if you look up when you see them and understand that you can come some way to make your vision real. And I firmly believe I'm not a smart student. I was the second dumbest kid in my high school class. And I I didn't view that as a negative. I viewed that I, I had other abilities that I could create with. So clearly you had a strong sense of self. And whatever you were going to embark on, you were going to embark on. I don't know if it was a sense of self or a sense of purpose. Um, I I used to um, think I had an albatross around my neck because my father, from the time I was a small child, would say, your role is to help other people. 
It was a, a weighty gift that he gave me, but it was really important. The other gift that he gave me was that you couldn't do anything until you reached your 70s, that you had to do different things in your life that, so that you could be a, an accumulation of those experiences. So when you hit that charmed age of 70, you could use them to really raise your focus on what your role is. And so every birthday I've had, it was like joyous. I'm one year closer. I'm one year closer. So um, that was- That's very heartening because of a woman uh, who certainly is familiar with her 70s, I don't feel marginalized or invisible. And that it really is exciting to be able to reinvent yourself. That gift that you have of reinventing yourself is critical path to helping other people. Mm. So talk to me about the function of the Leonard's Museum. How did you see that taking shape? What was the goal that you had? To empower other people to be themselves and go out and conquer the world after being empowered. It was really the focus that I, I always viewed myself as someone on the side of a photograph, making the stage for other people to create. It's not about me. So this has been a, a interesting and difficult journey to step into the picture and uh, start speaking out. The written word is fantastic, but I now know there's other roles that I have to uh, embrace in order to get the message out. Was it a slog to create the mansion and the museum? Were you taken seriously back in the day? I don't think I'm still taken seriously. As a, <laughs> oh, to tell you the truth. Uh-huh. We have a long journey to continue and uh, continue we must. I don't think we've had a voice for many years, even though people assume things are better. I'm not sure if they are when it comes to not being seen properly. Not being seen properly as a woman. Yes. Yeah, which is really disheartening considering what year we're in. That um, at what point do we just kind of cut those losses already and stop having to defend ourselves or to explain ourselves? It just gets gets exhausting. What, what uh, helped me was having Mrs. Parks here as a role model because she was consistently, continuously put in her place or what people thought was her place and marginalized to only being on the bus. Right, right. History. And she was so much more than that. And whenever she was discriminated against from any age, any religion, any color of the person, she would go within herself, smile, and continue. And that was a great thing. It's, it's the persistence. The struggle continues, the struggle continues, the struggle continues. But you can solve that struggle by speaking about love. Yeah, and it's almost as if it was bigger than she was, you know, that she was able to step outside of herself. And that was one of the characteristics, in my opinion, that made her so extraordinary and iconic. Absolutely. So you get this phone call from Brother Edwards who was a friend of yours? Did you have a relationship with this man? I had no idea who he was. He told me very quickly in that conversation to give him credibility, not because he was bragging. And um, I did not know who Mrs. Parks was. Seriously? Seriously. I thought at the time it was because I was just a bad student 
because I didn't find out who she was for three years after she moved in. And then I realized it was God's way for not having me know because it allowed us to become friends from the heart and not from her fame. It was very important to her. Our conversations were not about civil rights or women's rights or human rights. Our our conversations were about what was important to her, which is uh, God mm-hmm. and children and family. So when I found out who she was, I uh, was incredibly embarrassed and incredibly apologetic. And she was very grace- gracious um, and said, it's okay, it's God's way, but now that you know who I am, can you start traveling with me? So that was also a gift. What do you mean by travel? Whenever she was asked to go to a speaking engagement, whenever I could, I traveled with her to that engagement. I really found out about her history because other people were only interested in that. Mm-hmm. So she comes to Washington, D.C., and she, and I'm using the term in quotes, moves in with you. Was that an immediate love story? Those people in your life, when you touch their hand, you know before you know. <laughs> yeah. What is that person? So she was um, rolled in to the lower lobby of the mansion in a wheelchair. She was very frail and exhausted from her trip from the hospital to the plane to heal. Um, but I gently touched her hand and it was uh, immediate for both of us. Mm-hmm. And she didn't tell me at the time, but in our tea and our conversations in the afternoon, she said that she knew before she knew, basically. About what she was getting into with About you? who I was, that we both had creator hands, that uh, we, were, um, we were family immediately. It wasn't that why I mean, the way you said it. I love that. It was a love affair immediately because I didn't realize that before. It was. And this was obviously a first for you in in terms of your professional life and career. You had never been asked to do what you were asked to do when it came to her. Mm, um, no, we had a very robust artists and heroes program where we give away rooms to artists and heroes at no cost. So I think that might have been how she her um, she heard about us or Brother Willis Edwards heard about us. Mm-hmm. We also have a very robust privacy policy where we don't talk about who's here. So we do get many people between lives, many famous people between lives, because everyone has an up and a down and they need to disappear. Mm-hmm. And with Mrs. Parks's case, it was emotional and physical. But in many people's cases, it's financial. You right. think you're on the top of the world and then your manager steals all your money. And even though you're <laughs> a creative creator, um, you have nothing to, you don't have a roof over your head. So your relationship with Rosa Parks was, for all intents and purposes, natural and easy. Yes. Yes. And did she share with you her incredible history? She did not share her history until after I knew who she was. And our relationship really was not a conversation about history. It was more of a conversation about her lessons that she taught me through her history. Uh, I don't know how to say it any any better than that. I'll give you an example. Okay. And um, President Clinton was um, had a State of the Union address right after Monica Lewinsky happened. Um, 
Mrs. Parks was um, invited to sit next to Mrs. Clinton and nobody clapped, not a Republican, not a Democrat on any of the policies of President Clinton's incredible speech until he introduced Mrs. Parks and then everyone stood up and clapped for her. And it, for me, it felt like eight minutes of resounding noise. And then everyone sat down and no one moved for the rest of his speech. And after that, Mrs. Parks was um, very tired when she came home. But I, I asked her, Mrs. Parks, what was that like to have heard the love of everyone in the chamber and your introduction from the President of the United States? And she never answered quickly. She thought about it for a few minutes and then said, I'm so happy I helped our country. And that's who Mrs. Parks was. That's how she viewed things. Nothing was ever about her. So she was a very self-effacing, heartfelt, good, no agenda type person. She was the real deal. And she firmly believed that God put her in those situations so that she could seize the moment to teach other people. You know, I'm embarrassed on some level because I don't think I knew that she had been attacked in her home in Detroit. Can you talk a little bit about that? She did not want anyone to know. And I didn't know until I had started to write this book that um, she had, we had someone come by that said, oh, I knew Mrs. Parks because I was her nurse in the hospital. And she started to talk to her about it. And I said, could we get you on video? And she said, oh, no, I can't, because we all had to sign NDAs that she never was in the hospital. And we can never talk about it. And I still work there. I don't want to lose my job. But when she was so badly assaulted that her pacemaker was dislodged, she was in the hospital, not over for a few hours, like the press said, but for a long time. That also speaks to the extraordinary woman she was. And she said to me she didn't want anyone to know because she didn't want children of the world to be afraid in their own homes like she was when the Klan was coming to kill her family, which happened frequently. Her grandfather would sit at the front door with a shotgun across his lap to protect them. He would not go to sleep. So, um, but how could somebody that was so, but so physically and spiritually injured have the frame of mind to ask for that also speaks to the, a real apostle, a real icon, a real hero, because we, we have all these people that are, we say are heroes. This is the real deal. What was your relationship like? Did it start off? a little tenuously? And were you nervous? Were you uncomfortable? And then did it become a very much a natural act between the two of you? I am exceedingly shy and I'm very introverted. And I never want to impose myself in anyone's life unless asked a question. And also I grew up in the 50s where a woman wasn't didn't speak unless she was spoken to. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I was requested to do something, I would do it um, with joy. If I was asked a question, I would answer it. Um, and and I think intuitively she understood that. And she um, sought me out. So I would 
also get over that 1950s syndrome. But you never grow up, you never leave home, you always have pieces of that within yourself. Yeah. Um, it's a struggle daily to um, say, hey, it's all okay. Yeah, but let's not minimize what you gave birth to, the mansion and the museum. I don't want to be dismissive of that. That's that's a big deal for somebody who seems to be sharing the fact, well, I don't really know if I can pull this off and that you were not born with an extra dose of self-confidence. It's about having a mission and it's about having a vision and it's about having values. And when you have that base, you can move mountains. So it's not about me being able to do that. It's the purpose that God gave me to do what I do. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I always... Sometimes you, in life, you think you can go a different direction and you can't because something happens and boom, you're back to where you need to be. Mm-hmm. And, and I also tell people, say yes to everything. So describe again, your relationship with Mrs. Parks. It took a while to kind of get off the ground for each of you to kind of feel safe with one another. And then it just became an incredible moving history lesson for you? Um, everyone in life that is famous is always cautious. So Mrs. Parks um, had that feeling when she first we first touched hands, but um, she saw me in action. She saw me as a daughter. She saw me as a friend. Mm-hmm. I saw her as the mother I wished I had had, and I saw her as a mentor. And I also saw my role as being her caretaker. So I was around every corner when she needed something. So it became just an incredible natural act for you. Uh, None at all. I was honored. I I got to braid her hair when she woke up (laughs) in the morning. How cool is that? Very cool. Very cool. So was it a no-brainer for you that you were going to write a book? No. I have been writing since I was in fifth grade profusely, but more to keep my sanity in a journal format than anything else. Mm-hmm. Also to give me perspective. And we had an event. Um, we were honored um, by the city and became a historic trail of African-American history um, because of Mrs. Park's time here. And the museum, the you mean? Then. Yeah. Yes. And the Library of Congress came because they were doing an exhibit uh Uh, The first exhibit the Library of Congress has ever done on one person, they had always in the past of their 222-year history done genres. So it was like the baseball, civil rights, women's rights, but never one person. So they came to that unveiling, and a gentleman at the Library of Congress named Luis Clavel said, you need to write your story, and can you please write it now? And I looked at him thinking, I can write a children's book. I can do that. And I said, yes. Um, And when I say yes to something, I make sure I keep my commitment. So that's how the book evolved. Because again, I wasn't, I never thought about it. I I thought about her privacy. I never discussed her being here until I turned 65 and went, whoops, to my board. How are we going to be sustainable? And they said, you have to talk about what you've done. So it's a journey. Even writing the book, I almost think Mrs. Parks channeled through me because it, it uh, wasn't, it was like, it just came. And there was a point halfway through the book where the manuscript disappeared from my computer and 
all the geniuses in the tech field couldn't find it again um, uh, in the cloud or anywhere. And I was not angry. I just wanted to know what I was tr being taught, why this happened. And then I figured it out. Um, Mrs. Parks said, you got to write my book. This is not, and that's how the, the journey began. Yours was certainly not the first book about this amazing woman. I think it's the first book that I'm aware of that's not a history book. It's about her soul. It's about her things that aren't written in any history book. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something that I went and researched. It was two women sharing their feelings, their thoughts, and taking their clothes off at the same time, being so honest with each other. Uh, All right, keeping your clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Mm -hmm. She was very proper, by the way. She always put beautiful dresses on. She cataloged everything that she wore the day she wore it. She felt it was important to dress properly at all times so that so no one could judge her poorly if she wasn't. She felt um, deportment was critical path and acceptance of ideas, thoughts, and way of life. So she's with you for 10 years, from when to when? From what year to what year? 1994. Yeah. Till uh, a year before she passed, which was 2004. And she traveled during that time. She did not travel the first year that she was with me. She really took time off to deal with her uh, PTSD, to deal with her um, physical health, mm -hmm. and to give her time to figure out, again, we talked about it earlier, who do you want to become? Why did this happen to me? And how can I help other people? Um, and she came back stronger than she'd ever been. It was a phenomenal um, thing for me to be able to be and watch as she gathered strength. I can't imagine what it was like to sit opposite her and just have her, and I use again the term in quotes, not regale you with stories, but give you this first person history lesson that had to have an incredible impact on you. It, it, it did. And uh, Brother Willis Edwards told me while she was here on many times, H, you don't understand what you're living right now. You don't, you will much later remember this. And he was exactly right because at the time you don't understand the impact that certain people have in changing your life and making it better. Um, and and a, another reason that this book is so important to me, I think that anyone in the world can become her at any time. And that when bad things happen to you, that you can get up again and become more powerful. And, and that's another lesson that's so important. There's always someone, you've heard the cliche, but it's not a cliche. There's always someone out there that is sicker than you. There's always someone else that was injured physically more than you. Help those people. And, and by helping them, you help yourself. Do you think that she appreciated her impact on the world? She was very modest. She was very humble. It was never about her. She wished that people knew the other things she was involved in, that she wasn't just the lady that 
on the bus. Mm-hmm. That was frustrating for her. Um, and she hoped that people would stop pu- putting people in boxes so that if you belong to an organization, include everyone into that organization. So if it was a woman's organization, invite all ages to that organization, all colors, and invite men in, because that's where you can affect change. Mm-hmm. So your relationship clearly, not maybe not at the very outset, but was a natural act. It was um, who I am. I don't know what natural is. <laughs> that it made just perfect sense for you, for the two of you to be together and to share your life, your lives together. And then was it your idea to write this book? Did you have to convince her of that? Well, she had passed when I wrote it. Um, And I think she was looking at me from heaven saying, no, you need to change the book. You need to don't forget this. Don't forget that. Um, and you need to tell my whole story, things that people don't know about. So um, I do believe that people channel from even when they're not with you and they guide you from, from uh, as angels. Can you give examples of things that are in the book that we might not have otherwise known about her? I can give you simple ones. She sure. was a vegetarian. Um, well before people became vegetarians. She um, started teaching recycling to children in Detroit well before that became an issue. <laughs> That's She's great. A real trailblazer. She was um, a Black Panther. No. Um, a proud member. Uh huh. So those are three things people don't know. And they're many in the book. How were you impacted by your relationship with her on a daily basis? She taught survival. She taught me that when bad things happen, look up. Soldier on? Yes. But also, I don't know what the words are, but also smile. Uh, smile a smile changes devastation. And I think that's why everyone loved her. She was never angry. Um, I, I, she would be upset. I would see her cry, but she was she never turned on anyone. They, and they didn't necessarily know how upset she was because she smiled. How would you characterize your relationship with her? Mother-daughter, sisters, really good friends, mentor-mentee? All of the above. She was the sum of all things in all levels and all aspects. So writing this book was something that in a way was bigger than you were. You had to do this. Right. I was just the conduit. Mm -hmm. Of telling her story. You know, I want to just go back to something that you said in the beginning of our conversation. What did you say? You were the second dumbest kid in your class. Um, So The dumbest kid was named Gumby. He was the center of the football team. Okay, so Gumby notwithstanding, uh, <laughs> and Dumb notwithstanding, obviously, H, you started a museum, you started a mansion, you have this incredible woman in your life, you write a book. I mean, why don't you own this stuff? I own it, but with the knowledge that it's um, not about me, I own it, but I 
understand that when you have learning disabilities or when where you have physical disabilities, that there's other avenues that God gives you where you can excel. And, and that's why when we hire people, we don't even look at their resumes. We always have someone on the spectrum that works here. It's a joy to see everyone become what they can be in an environment that's loving. So the relationship becomes visceral. Yes. Mm-hmm. When she was living with you, did people come to the mansion to meet with her? Did she, yes. was she open to giving lectures or speaking in front of groups of people? For about a year, she did not see anyone because she needed to heal spiritually and physically. After that, she would come out and greet people that were touring the museum with no fanfare. If they happened to talk to her, she would talk back. She oh, would... they must have freaked out over that. They had to freak out. Yeah, we have many stories, wonderful stories about that. She didn't do lectures, but she would do one-on-one. She'd be do Q&As when she was here. She wanted to give back to me, like she didn't need to, but it was her suggestion. I would never have asked, but she said she loved gospel music. She wondered if we could start doing Rosa Parks gospel brunches here at the O Museum in the mansion, which we did and which were phenomenal. And obviously we got some extraordinary gospel singers because she was here. Mm -hmm. You're making it sound very natural. I'm not saying that pejoratively, but you are with this Massive icon, whether she felt that way or not, it ain't the point. She, who did not know this woman's name? Who did not know this woman? Me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was in um, New Jersey, actually, and I was in a beauty parlor. I, it was just before a wedding, and I asked people if they knew who Mrs. Rosa Parks were, and nobody in the beauty parlor knew. And it was a diverse group of people. And so, age-wise, too, diverse? Age-wise, too, and I also felt empowered that this why this book was so important because her lessons are more as important today as they were in 1955 what she did her courage what she taught about um seizing the moment and utilizing all of your senses as a woman Mm -hmm. but someone that was humble that you didn't need to speak loudly to get your message all these lessons across uh, are so important today, more than ever. So that it, 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 it's like the time is now, it was right to write the book now, and mm-hmm. Sandy for promoting it, because it's so important now. Again, the fact that this woman was so massive in, in her power and the personification of good and kind, and not that you're, that you're being dismissive of that, but you're just talking about this as if she was just a regular Joe, you know? And she was. She's and just she was. like you and me, and you and me can change the world, just like she did. Wow. You just don't, you don't want to, you want to look up. You want to have a mission and a vision to step out and help other people. It's not like her life was easy. She got so many death threats all throughout her life. She couldn't get a job because of who she was. Um, because everyone thought, here comes trouble. You know, I'm, I'm embarrassed in terms of the incident in Detroit. Who, who came in and ruined her life back in the day? Did they ever get caught? The neighbors caught him. He went to prison. Uh, Mrs. Parks 
got the strength to go home and testify against him in court. She did forgive him. What, was he a racist? He was African-American. It was a young boy, 18, 19 years old. Um, But she did say that even though she forgave him, because that was the right thing to do, she could never forget him. And years later, the sisters kept on writing her letters and um, please forgive him, let him out of prison early. Um, And uh, she didn't respond. She couldn't respond. It says something, a testament to her that you have to forgive everyone everything. And in the morning, you have to forgive yourself. And she Mm. taught me that. Yeah, sometimes that's a hard lesson to learn and to incorporate into one's life. She also said that bad emotions harm your physical and spiritual body. So you have to forgive everyone, everything, and forgive yourself the next day. I can't imagine that your life wasn't impacted on so many different levels by having a relationship with this national treasure. It was definitely blessing. Do you expect to promote your book in schools? Uh, It's very, very important. In Washington, D.C., which is rich in history, like incredible, we're working on a project now to get the word out. The children are only taught African-American history in the fifth and 11th grade. And um, so I'm hoping to be able to go into the schools and into the churches and into the mosques and synagogues to, to speak about Mrs. Parks. I think it's important to bring people together, to unite people together. And her message does that. Wow, it just and, seems so arbitrary. In the fifth grade, you're going to learn about Rosa Parks, and then we'll come back and you'll learn some more about her in the 11th grade. It just seems so stupid to do it that way. What has this book done for you? Has this also been a trigger for you to do something similar with other iconic names, other here American heroes? If they come my way and need help, I'll, I'll house them and give them a home. But I, I am not, um, God works in mysterious ways. I don't know how to answer that question. I don't know how to answer that question. It's a good one and I'll think about it. Mm-hmm. And if you send me your email, I'll write to you. <laughs> well, you'll come, you'll, you'll come back for a part two and you'll answer the question. Really? It's a great question. I can't imagine what this experience, even though we've talked about it for, you know, this last 40 minutes about what this was like, you're almost making it a natural act for you. And I, I'm not saying that dismissively at all. Rosa Parks, and she's living with you and she becomes friends with you and, you, and you're intimate with each other in terms of sharing your feelings and your hopes and, and, and dreams and, and in a sense, taking your clothes off as she did in, for you and sharing how she really felt. And she obviously had tremendous respect and comfort being around you. You got to own that, H. I will. Thank you. You're empowering me. Well, come on. I, I, I mean, to me, to me, I'm just, I have the ability to state the obvious. That's all. Yeah. So I, I appreciate you opening my eyes. I think it's like the premise of what she taught. All that matters is love. Then that you're here to give to other people. Mm-hmm. Share what you can with other people. Yeah. Like here's a woman that was the, such an icon uh, that died penniless. But she died rich of soul because Mm -hmm. everything she got, she gave. Mm -hmm. 
Was her funeral in D.C.? Brother Willis did three funerals for her, and I was blessed to be a pallbearer at all three of them. One was in Montgomery, Alabama. Mm -hmm. One was in Washington, D.C., a few blocks from us, and one was in Detroit. So as each funeral happened, it became bigger than life. So the first one, which she would have loved, was very simple with her close friends in Montgomery. Um, Here, it was a lot of politicians. Mm. And in Detroit, it was everyone. And and all three were beautiful in and of themselves. And that Mr. Willis could have made this happen so quickly and graciously and perfectly. It was incredible. So talk just a little bit more about the mansion and the museum. Do exhibits change on a regular basis at the museum? Unlike other museums, we have three things that happen. We change daily. Come in the morning, it's different in the afternoon. Wow. You can sit in chairs and sofas and enjoy yourself and look up. About the 110 rooms, there are 110 different ceilings to get people to understand that you're just a piece of the world, reach out and give back. And the the third thing is there's no security offices in each room to say, no, 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 don't touch. We want people to touch history. We want people to see where people live. We want people to see what's been donated. Everything in the museum is donated to us. We have over 100 guitars signed by um, icons of the music, and it's extraordinary. And it's filled with music daily. And there's different genres of music in each area so that no matter where you're from in the world, no matter what you love, when you go to another room, you hear something that maybe you're not familiar with. Maybe you don't understand um, hip hop. Yeah. When you hear it next to a room that has classical, you're more open to its message. Describe the mansion to us. It's 110 rooms. It has 80 secret doors to journey through and try to find. If you find five, you're above average. Huh. You can see Mrs. Parks's room as it was when she lived here, which is quite extraordinary. It's filled with memorabilia, all donated to us. It's um, magical, and it is a sanctuary. So I can stay at the mansion? Yes. Uh-huh. How do you feel when you look back over your career and see where you've come from, where you've been, and where you are and going. I look forward to tomorrow. I can't wait to wake up in the morning. Sometimes if my philosophy is if I can get out of bed, I've had a great day and that's where things begin. So some days I might be hurting physically from all the uh, moving of furniture Mm -hmm. because we change things every morning, noon and night. And sometimes I'm impatient. I want to move it right away. So I sometimes do it myself, but um, it's, it's about tomorrow and making it a better place for everyone. Wow, what a great way to end. You're a force to be reckoned with, Miss Leonard, to say the least. Wow, I, I really appreciate that. And I hope that you come visit me so we can meet in person, honestly. it's To me, it's a no-brainer. And I was really taken with your whole story. It's just so fascinating. And the fact that you d- developed this relationship with this amazing, amazing woman who trusted you, felt safe with you, and obviously loved you. It was mutual. But the gift she gave me was to allow me to see her so I could heal also. And and I'm hoping that when people read this book, they will understand that no matter what happens to them in their life, you can go on in a positive way. You can get better. 
And you can help other people. Perfect way to end. And let me just repeat that the name of the book is Rosa Parks, Beyond the Bus, Life Lessons and Leadership. Sounds like the perfect title. H.H. Leonard's Thank you so much for sharing your passion and your life and your stories with us. It's been absolutely fascinating. And come visit everybody. You can see her soul when you are here. And Sandy, especially, you have to. Well, I need to feel her soul. And I think that that would be a great antidote for what's going on in the world today. And I will take you up on your offer. Absolutely. I'll be be ringing that doorbell. Good. Give me a notice so I can be here. (laughs) I'm going to give you that big hug. I will. I absolutely will do that. Thank you so much, H.H. Lenners. It was really a pleasure to meet and get to know you and hear your story. And again, it is the historic mansion and museum on O Street in Washington, D.C. And hopefully you will be inundated with a lot of people who listened to this interview and didn't know about it and are excited to come and see what you have given birth to. Thank you so much. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.